Welcome to the Cross Church Podcast. Pastor Allen is finishing our series, Focus on the Family, on June 23rd, 2019. The title of this week's sermon is Family and Marriage Bliss. Enjoy the message. On the family, Leo Tolstoy, the great Russian novelist, he said, all happy families are alike. Each unhappy family is unhappy in its own way. John Bowring said, a happy family is but an earlier heaven. And Mother Teresa said, what can you do to promote world peace? Go home and love your family. Isn't that good? For where there's love in the family, it tends to spread. Unfortunately, for, for many of us here today, this is more of the reality. Happiness is having a large, loving, caring, close-knit family in another city. <laughs> That's a good one, eh, Greg? In another city, far away. For some of us, family is, it really is a difficult thing. Um, your relationship with your kids is a struggle. Your relationship with maybe your mother, your father is a problem. I don't know. But I can tell you this. The Bible gives very clear instructions and guidance on how to have a happy family and how your kids can be happy in the family. And I think that this morning, I think that what I've got to share with you might be a bit of a surprise for some of you uh, because it's, 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 it's not what you think. For many of us, when we think about how, I'm gonna make, how am I going to make my family life fun and happy, the first thing that comes to mind is we've got to play with the kids. Playing with the kids is, is a great thing. Absolutely. You've got to play with your kids. But I'm going to tell you, that's not going to be the key or the secret to having a, happily, a happy, adjusted family. I remember playing games with my family. We played Crokinole. How many remember Crokinole? The board with little... If you don't know what it is, then don't worry about it. We played Rummy together. We played Yahtzee together. Uh, we had a whole closet full of games that we used to play. And uh, that, those were the days when on television there were only three channels. Anybody remember that? Uh, was there CBC, CTV, and then the French channel. And then we got, then we got channel 12, which then became channel 9, which is CKND. Anybody remember those days? Those were the days when people still talked to each other. And uh, for some of you, you, you're pretty convinced that the way that you're going to have a close family is by going on vacation together and by going camping together. I can tell you that that doesn't always work to bind your family together if you've ever gone camping with anybody. Um, in fact, that's why there's so many movies made about family vacations. Uh, I think Robin Williams and Chase, what's his name, Chevy Chase, yeah, you, you've, you've seen them, I think. You probably know what I'm talking about. It doesn't guarantee anything. And although it's good to do, it's not the, the main thing. Uh, some of you want your kids to really be well-adjusted. You make sure they're in drama classes and music class, classes and dancing classes and uh, sports lessons. And, and your kid's on the B string, and he's got really no interest in playing hockey, but you're, you're sure that if he just sticks with it long enough, he'll join the NHL. <laughs> it, 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 and it, of course, it doesn't work that way. But we're desperate uh, to make sure our kids are happy and we want to have a happy family. And we go about it, sadly, in all the wrong ways. The Bible gives us clear instructions on how to have a happy family, how to make sure that your kids are well-adjusted, how to make sure that your kids are, are, are actually happy about living under your roof. And we've seen so many, so many uh, 
young people, so many people over the years that have been so unhappy living at home. We want to address that today. And I want to ask you, if you've got your Bibles, to turn to Ephesians chapter 5. And I'm reading from verse 16, or 15, pardon me. Ephesians 5, 15. And Paul says this. So be careful how you live. Give thought to the way that you live your life. For a lot of us, life just happens to us. We wake up in the morning, we have our coffee, we have our breakfast, and it just happens. But Paul's saying what you have to do is you actually have to give careful thought to it. You can't just let it happen to you. You've got to take hold of it. There's a word that we use. It's the word proactive. That's really what Paul's saying here. So be careful how you live. Don't live like fools, but like those who are wise. So if you're going to have a happy and joyful family and a happy, joyful marriage, then you've got to actually work on it. And I'm going to tell you this, Gloria and I are married 30 years this year. I just want to make sure that you're with me on this. 30 years. I'm going to tell you, it, we have an awesome marriage, but that didn't happen by accident. That happened by design. We were not foolish about our marriage. We were wise about our marriage. We both worked really, really hard on making sure that we didn't just have a good marriage, we have an excellent marriage. Paul says, make the most of every opportunity in these evil days. And you know that all of, all of our culture, if you, took the, if you took the worldview class, then you know what I'm talking about. Our whole culture, our whole world is opposed to, to family values, marriage values, Christian values. And so Paul is saying, hey, be aware of this. There's a world out there that hates the family, that hates marriage, and wants to do everything in its power to destroy it. And we know who's behind it. Who's behind, who's behind the, the destroyer, or but, but, but behind this destruction? It's the destroyer, Satan himself. Don't act thoughtlessly, but understand what the Lord wants you to do. And so again, that's what we do, don't we? We act thoughtlessly. We don't give any thought to our marriage. We take our wife for granted. We take our husband for granted. We even take our kids for granted. And then Paul says something very interesting. He throws this in there, and it almost doesn't fit. But he says, don't be drunk with wine, because that will ruin your life. Instead, be filled with the Holy Spirit. So in this discussion on getting along with one another, loving each other, he throws this in, don't be drunk with wine because that will ruin your life, but instead be filled with the Holy Spirit. What's he saying? He's saying, hey, many people, the way that they cope with life, and by the way, most of the stress that you experience in your life will probably come from within your family. A lot of people don't realize that. And so how do people cope with it? Well, for so many people, it's turned to, turned to wine. And I'm going to tell you, uh, while I was away, I was, I was just having lunch yesterday, uh, at the airport, of, of all places. And I looked around, and I realized that all the women, all the women were sitting there with a glass of wine. Ten years ago, you never saw that. It just, it just never happened. But it's become now, we've now got a culture of wine drinking. That's the, new, that's the new big thing. In fact, the doctors are extremely concerned about this. There's, there's all kinds of warnings out about the dangerous effects of wine. Because for most people, it never stops with just one glass. It goes on to more and more. In fact, usually what happens is that be, what begins with one glass of wine now becomes one bottle of wine a night. And I can tell you, I know and I deal with so many people that are struggling with this. 
So Paul says, when you're facing your difficulties and your struggles in life, the, the tendency or the temptation is going to be to turn to a glass of wine to cope. Or if not wine, then something, something to help you cope with the stress of life. But Paul says this, instead of turning to a glass of wine, instead be filled with the Holy Spirit. Does that make sense? Instead of, instead of being filled with spirits, be filled with the Holy Spirit. Singing psalms and hymns and spiritual songs among yourselves and making music to the Lord in your hearts and give thanks for everything to God the Father in the name of our Lord Jesus Christ. Let me just put that up. Instead, be filled with the Holy Spirit, singing psalms and hymns and spiritual songs among yourselves, making music to the Lord in your hearts, and give thanks for everything to God the Father in the name of our Lord Jesus Christ. What is Paul describing here? He's describing a beautiful picture of a happy family. Can you just imagine? Everybody's sitting around the house. They're, they're, I'm talking about a Christian home, by the way. <laughs> Filled with the Holy Spirit, they're singing together, having fun together, making spiritual songs among themselves, making music to the Lord, giving thanks, a home that's full of gratitude. You can just, you just think, man, that sounds like a fun home to live at. I'd like to live at that house. That's where, that's where I want to be. Everybody's happy and they're joyful and they're being controlled by the Holy Spirit and not by their own selfish whims and desires. At this place, everybody's happy. Everybody says, please and thank you. If you ever watch The Simpsons, it almost sounds like the Flanders. Now, I'm not, I'm not a, I, I don't like this, I don't like The Simpsons, but I'm going to tell you, it's amazing to me how they mock this man who is, who is a Christian in this show. And yet, folks, this is, this is what God wants for our families to look like, a happy home. A home that is under the power and the control and the leading of the Holy Spirit. It amazes me that, that we as Pentecostals have forgotten what it really actually means to be a Pentecostal. We are under the control of the Holy Spirit first and foremost. But for so many people, that's not the case. In fact, your house is a war zone, right? On your, on your front door, is a, is a, is a, for some of you, you ought to have a sign up that says, landmines beware. Have you ever been in a home like that? You just don't know who's going to go off and who's going to start. I mean, have you ever been in a place where you're just sitting there visiting with them, and the next thing you know, the, the husband and wife are having a fight, and he's telling a story, and she's correcting, and no, stupid, that's not what happened. And it goes on, and you just feel so uncomfortable. But a Christian home is a home where there is singing and there is joy. And we are, look at this, we're looking to Christ. We're rejoicing. Look at this, we're rejoicing in our faith. We're rejoicing in our relationship to God. We're rejoicing in what God has done for us. And everybody is grateful. Everybody is giving thanks for everything to God in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ. Now, for some of us, we look at this and say, man, that just sounds too... You're, a little, you're cynical about this. You just think, man, that just sounds too much like leave it to beaver. I don't know. It's, it's just too idealistic. It's not for me. I like a bit of edge in my family, in my life. Can I just tell you something right now? It's the heart that is under the control of the Holy Spirit wants this. 
The life that is under the control of the flesh is what Paul calls it in Romans 8. Is a life that says, God, you know, I, I, I'm going to do it my own way. I'm going to serve God my own way. I, I, want my home, I want my home to be the way I want it to be, not the way God wants it to be. That is always the way it is with every one of us. It's always the fight that we have, the fight to go against what, what self wants to do what the Spirit of God wants. So Paul says this. He says, be careful how you live. That's what he says in verse 15. Be careful how you live. Don't live like fools. Live like those who are wise. That's what he says. And then it says, verse 21, and further, submit to one another out of reverence for Christ. For wives, this means, drum roll please, this means submit to your husbands as to the Lord. Pastor Alan, is that really in the Bible? Do you remember the day when, when man and woman got married and the vows included the part that said wives will, will obey their husbands? And most marriages, they remove that from the vows, and yet this is what it says here. Pastor Alan, what kind of a conference did you go to? <laughs> this is what it says here. Wives, this means submit to your husbands as to the Lord. For a husband is the head of the wife, as Christ is the head of the church. He is the Savior of his body, the church. And as the church submits to Christ, so you wives should submit to your husbands in everything. Now, some of your husbands are thinking there, oh, I'm so glad he finally said it. I've been wanting to tell her this, but I haven't, got, I haven't had the guts to tell her. <laughs> okay, hang on a minute, guys. Now, you, now you're going to get the hammer. Here's the hard part. For husbands, this means love your wives just as Christ loved the church. He gave up his life for her to make her holy and clean, washed by the cleansing of God's word. He did this to present herself as a glorious church without spot or wrinkle or any other blemish. Instead, she'll be holy and without fault. Now, what, what Paul's doing is he's paralleling Christ's relationship to us, the church, with a marriage between a husband and a wife. And in the same way that Jesus Christ helps us to be holy and without fault, because, guys, I, I, hate, to, I hate to break it to you, but you are uh, a, you're a bride. You are the bride of Christ. That blow your mind? What's, what's Paul saying here? He's in the way that God helps us as Christians to live that holy life, that life that pleases God, a life without faults, is by doing that work in our lives. And so it's in the same way, husband, you need to treat your wives in such a way that in your home there's no strife. Did you get that? That you're loving your wife in such a way that she is, she is not forced or compelled or tempted to become anything but a holy and godly woman. And in so doing, bring peace to the home. Did you get that? In the same way, husbands ought to love their wives as they're as they love their own bodies. For a man who loves his wife actually shows love for himself. No one, no one hates his own body, but feeds and cares for it, just as Christ cares for the church. And we are members of his body. 
As the scripture says, a man leaves his father and mother and is joined to his wife, and the two are united into one. Where in-laws can't meddle. This is a great mystery, but it's an illustration of the way that Christ and the church are one. So again, I say, each man must love his wife as he loves himself, and the wife must respect her husband. Now, we're going to unpack that in just a few moments. But first of all, let me just say this. Paul says, make sure that you be careful about how you live. In other words, don't be foolish. Just just letting life happen to you. Paul says, you need to start listening to the Holy Spirit and start walking in step with the Holy Spirit so that you start living the way God wants you to live so that your family, that your home is a happy and joyful place. So let me ask you this. What's it like at your house? What would people say about your family and about your house and what it looks like and how it, how it functions? I'm going to tell you this this morning. The thing that is going to make your family a happy family, a place, a place where your kids want to live, is by making sure, husbands and wives, that you love each other. The beginning of, mar- of, of family bliss is, begins actually with marital bliss, where husbands and lives, wives truly love each other. And for many of us, we don't even know. We don't even know what we're really like. You think, some of you are thinking, yeah, well, if, you know, if, if my wife was a better woman, our house would be a great place to live. If my husband was a better man, our house would be a better place to live. Well, Paul tells us in Ephesians 5, in the first few verses of Ephesians 6, what a family should look like. So let me remind you, a happy family is a place where mom and dad obviously love each other. Do your kids know that you love each other? Husbands and wives, do they know that you love each other? Do they know that, they, that there's a mutual respect for each other? Do they see, do they see mom uh, nagging dad, uh, putting him down, making fun of him, uh, disrespecting him? That's not love, and that's certainly not what Paul tells us love looks like. And I'm going to tell you, if your children are watching mom who's putting her husband down and telling him how stupid he is and he can't do anything right and, and he's mixed up, he's confused, he's a disaster, it's a horrible thing. And vice versa. If, I, if, I, if children watch dad uh, treating his wife like garbage, not respecting her, not treating her with, uh, with, with the due that she deserves... I'm going to tell you that you're going to have a very, very unhappy family and a very unhappy home. You're going to have a... This is why your kids don't want to come home after school. It's why they want to come home ever. It's why he doesn't want to come home. It's why she doesn't want to come home. Hey, understand something. Your home is a sanctuary. It's supposed to be a safe place filled with the Spirit of God. Where there's singing and there's happiness and there's gratitude and there's joy, it's a great place to be. And so Paul says here in verse 21, 
And further, you will submit to one another out of reverence for Christ. Now, did you get that? Because I know some of the ladies are here thinking, why is it always the women have to submit? Well, actually, before Paul tells the women to do anything, here's what he tells everybody to do. You will submit to one another out of reverence for Christ. In other words, the way that you're going to truly worship God is by submitting to one another. Well, what does that look like? Well, before a wife will submit to her husband, a husband has got to submit to his wife. Did that, does that make sense? Well, what does that mean? What does that word submit mean? Well, it means, actually, in Greek, it's actually, it actually means to subjugate yourself, almost like a slave. I am Gloria's slave. And the good news is she's mine. But it gets better. I've got three children. They're adults now, but guess what? I, am st I still submit to them. I still subject, subject myself uh, to, to serving them and loving them and caring for them and serving them, and I expect the same from them. That's what healthy Christianity looks like. We are submitting to one another. Why? Because that's what true worship looks like. Because it's easy to come to church on Sunday and sing the songs and clap our hands and, and wave our hands around and be joyful and whatever. That's all great. But I'm going to tell you that if you in your, in your home are not submitting to one another, folks, you are not a true worshiper of Jesus Christ. The, the, the worship that God accepts as holy is, is a worship that begins with loving one another. To what degree? Not just having loving feelings, but actually serving one another. And that's what Paul's talking about here, submitting to one another, being subjected to one another. And this is what a happy Christian, happy Christian family looks like. Husbands are cherishing their wives. Wives are respecting their husbands. Children are being obedient to their parents. You see what I'm saying here? We need to understand what this really looks like. We're serving each other. Even as Gloria and I have served our kids over the years, our kids have, in response, been obedient to us. They've served us. As I have loved my wife, as I have, as I have sought to, to make her happy, in this life, she has done the same for me. This, my friends, is what brings happiness in your home. It begins with true marital bliss. It begins with a husband and wife who are devoted to one another and devoted to Christ. And that's where the happiness comes from. Now, there's many things that will add bliss to your family, but the one thing that's going to, that's going to guarantee true happiness is when a man and wife love each other with all their hearts. Can I just quickly remind you of, of the, the very first couple that ever lived? We find them in a place called the Garden of Eden. And here's what, here's what it says in Genesis 2, 18, 20 to 24. And the Lord God said, it is not good for the man to be alone. I will make a companion who will help him. And then verse 20 Adam gave names to all the livestock, birds, and wild animals, but still there was no companion suitable for him. So the Lord God caused Adam to fall into a deep sleep and took one of Adam's ribs and closed up the place from which he had taken it. Then the Lord God made a woman from the rib and brought her to Adam. And at last, Adam exclaimed, at last, 
She is part of my own flesh and blood, my own flesh and bone. She will be called woman because she was taken out of a man. This explains why a man leaves his father and mother and is joined to his wife, and the two are united into one. What do we see here? We see, we see a husband and wife who are not just married to each other, but they are companions. Did you get the word companion? Because it speaks of not just, not just being a husband and wife, but best friends. Hey, guys, is your wife your best friend? Ladies, is your husband your best friend? You're a team. You're, you, you help each other. You bring out the best in one another. That's what a companion is. That's the idea here. That's why God says there's, there's no real suitable companion. And that's why he gave Eve to Adam. I'm going to tell you, as, as wonderful as it is to have a cat or a dog, the Bible says that's not a suitable companion. A suitable companion is a loving husband or loving wife. Some of you would say, man, I'm married right now, but I'd prefer to have a dog or a cat. This is not what it ought to be. Folks, this is why the Scriptures tell us how to live, tells us how to get it right. Your friends, your helpers, your lovers, your confidants, that's what a companion is. And furthermore, you're equal. Did you notice that Eve was taken from Adam's side? The Bible says it's from, from a rib this woman was created. What, what's God saying here? He's saying that they're equal. They're utterly equal. So this notion, this idea that, that, that men are above women, you have to understand what, it's, what the Bible is actually saying here. We're talking about a hierarchy of command, of authority. But in terms of who they are as individuals, they are equal before God. In fact, that's why Paul says that in Christ there's neither male nor female. We're equal. But yet we have different roles and responsibilities, which I'm going to talk about real quickly in just a moment. But I want you to see something else here. In verse 23, Adam exclaims, at last. He looks, beholds his wife, Eve, and says, at last. You can almost feel and hear the joy, the excitement the anticipation, the joy that's in his heart. In fact, in some, some Hebrew scholars think we should be interpreting that, wow, look what God gave me. This is amazing. Hey, ladies, do your husbands make you feel like that? Guys, if you're not making your wife feel like that, then you're not, you're not truly submitting to your wife. You're not truly serving her. Because this is what we see here. Adam makes, makes no, no doubts about it. He, he cherishes this woman. This woman is the most exciting thing that has ever happened to him. Of all God's creation, the best is Eve. And Eve knows it by his reaction to her. Guys, if you want to have a happy home, it begins with you. You make your wife feel cherished and loved. Every time you see her, if you're not saying, wow, 
or at last. You're not serving her the way she needs to be served. You need to make her feel like she is indeed the most important person in your life. In fact, she's more important to you than golfing. She's more important to you than hunting, fishing, more, more important than, than doing uh, uh, yard work or anything else. She's the most important person to you. He said, well, what has that got to do with having a happy home? I'm going to tell you something. When a husband and a wife love each other, children are content. And you can go and research all the psychology uh, papers and, and journals and, and books on the subject, and they all come to the same conclusion. When a husband and wife truly love each other, when they are submitting to one another, that's when the kids are happy. When they know that mom and dad love each other, Mom and dad are first. And some of you, you put your kids first before your husband or before your wife. And I'm going to tell you, that's wrong. That's not God's intention. That's not what God wants. He wants you to put each other first. That is how you serve your children. That is how you care for them and make them happy. Because when mom and dad are happy, then all is well in the earth. L is well in this world. And I don't care what kind of a house you live in. You can live in a palace. You can live in a one-bedroom apartment. But if mom and dad love each other, then all is well. I'm going to tell you this right now, husbands and wives. If you don't love each other the way that Adam loved Eve, you're not doing it right. And I can guarantee you that you've got family strife. You've got problems in your family, problems in your home. There's no happiness, and the kids know it. They won't be able to sit down and, and outline it with, with details, but they know it, they feel it, they sense something's not right at home. They can feel the tension in the air. We all, you all know what I'm saying. You all know that what I'm saying is true. Because some of you, that's how you grew up, and it's affected you to this day. Be careful how you live. Don't be like fools. Be wise. I'm going to tell you right now, if you want to have a happy family, then husbands and wives, you need to start looking out for one another. Look at look what Solomon says here. This is going to make you blush. Song of Solomon. Young man says, how beautiful you are, my darling. How beautiful your eyes, your eyes are like doves. And the young woman says, you are so handsome, my love. That's how Gloria and I talk to each other. Pleasing beyond words. The soft grass is our bed. Thankfully, that's not true. <laughs> we have a real bed. Fragrant cedar branches are the beams of our house, and pleasant-smelling firs are the rafters. It's been a while, husbands and wives, since you maybe read Song of Solomon. Maybe you should read that tonight together and see what happens. But I'm going to tell you, this is God's will for your life. Some of the Puritans and some of the, the, the older, uh, shall we say, uptight pastors and theologians of days gone by always like to think of Song of Solomon as a metaphor for Christ's relationship to the church. Well, you may be able to, 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 you know, to take it that way. You can if you want to. Let me tell you this. I believe beyond a shadow of a doubt that the Song of Solomon is put there to remind us and to teach us what God wants for a husband and a wife. 
30 years on, and Gloria and I, our romance is still alive. In fact, I think of a romance 30 years ago to a romance 30 years later, and I think we were absolutely children. We knew nothing. This is what God wants. If you could have told me 30 years on, it would get better and better and better and better. I, I, couldn't, I couldn't even have conceived of that. And yet, this, is my friends, is what God wants. He wants your life to reflect the relationship that Christ has to his church. And I'm going to tell you, even as a church responds, responds to Christ, Christ takes the initiative. Did you get that? Gentlemen, if you want to have a happy life, then start taking the initiative. Your wife is dying for you to take some initiative. And ladies, you're going to have to learn to let him take the initiative. Because here's what I know. And the reason I know this is because of Genesis chapter 3. It was Eve that stepped up and took the initiative in dealing with Satan. What a huge disaster that was. And by the way, after Eve took the fruit, you know what happened. Adam threw her under the bus. It was not my fault, God. You, you're the one who gave her to me. All of a sudden, Adam's forgetting, at last, wow. And now it's like, well, God, you gave this thing to me. What a disaster. Husbands, take the initiative. Take responsibility is the right word. I do, over 30 years, I've done a lot of counseling, 35 years actually, a lot of counseling. And here's, here's the number one complaint that every woman has about her husband. Ready? He won't take responsibility. If Guys, if your wife is still picking up after you, after all these years, shame on you. Can your pen drop? You know what? I don't even need to tell ladies what to do. Because I, I know this, that if a man will step up and be the man that Jesus wants him to be, a wife will be so happy, so joyful, she will follow him to the ends of the earth. Not because she has to, but because she wants to. Not because someone decreed, you must obey your husband. But he, she will want to follow his leadership. She will want to stand with him because she will admire him and respect him. I'm going to tell you what I'm telling you right now goes against everything that the world's going to tell you. In fact, if there's some feminists here, you might be a little bit angry at me today, but please don't be angry at me. Understand, I'm just preaching what the Bible says. Gentlemen, you need to serve your wife. Picture for me, would you? Jesus getting down on his knees and washing the feet of his disciples. That's what, that's what, that's what Jesus wants us to do. Wash our, our wives' feet. Your job, gentlemen, is to give leadership in your home never lording it over your family, never being the, the, the dictator or the boss, but being there to serve and make sure everybody's needs are taken care of. 
poor Eve, thrown under the bus. And some of you guys, you do that to your wives. Shame on you. You met her emotional needs, making her feel loved. Hey, you know one of the things I used to do all the time when Gloria and I got married? She'd start telling me something that was bothering her, something that was really troubling her. And I'd start listening, listening. I'm like, I want to take notes. I, I didn't, but I wanted to. And then I wanted to fix it. Sometimes, guys, your wife just wants you to be her girlfriend. Just wants to talk to you, just share what's on her heart. She doesn't want you to fix anything. She just wants to talk to you and tell her how she, how she feels. Adam cherished Eve, and that's, guys, what we need to do for our wives, cherish them, make them feel loved and cared for, respected. Wow, at last. My dreams come true, better than what I ever could have dreamed of. She's the best thing in the garden, meeting all her needs. Not making her feel like she's an idiot, but making her realize that together you and she are a team. You're partners in this life. You make decisions together. You discuss it, and then you take the responsibility and execute doing whatever you need to do. Yes, it means that, gentlemen, you're even making sure that her sexual needs are taken care of. I love the fact that Adam and Eve were naked and had no shame. They're called to go forth and multiply. Understand something today. We are all, every one of us, sexual beings. And some of you, even the word makes you blush. You don't even like to hear the word. Can we talk? Can we change the subject now, Pastor? That you said quite enough. One of the things that we've always done in our families, we've always spoken very openly about sexuality. First of all, because it's a gift from God, it's not a bad thing. In fact, we say it's the best invention that God ever made. It's a gift to us. And I'm going to tell you something right now. This might be the most important thing I say to a congregation in 2019 because the world out there is so twisted and perverted now. Husbands and wives, your responsibility is to meet each other's needs sexually. And I'm going to tell you, if you're struggling in any of these areas and you need to either talk to your pastor or go talk to a counselor, but you need to talk to somebody and you need to get back on track. Because here's what you need to know. Is that where there is a loving husband and wife, where they are connecting on all levels, that's where there's happiness. That's where there's joy. And that's where there's contentment in the home. It's going to make your kids happy. Knowing and feeling that mom and dad love each other. And all this out of reverence for Christ. All this is our worship, Christian worship of Almighty God. Would you stand with me, please? Father, we just give you thanks right now for giving us clear instruction from the Word. God, we pray right now for the grace, especially for, for our men here and for the young men who are growing up and will be husbands someday. We pray right now, O oh God, that you give us the grace, the strength, the wisdom, the power, the ability, O oh God, to be the men that you've called us to be, 
taking the initiative, loving and caring for our wives and our family. God, some of us have just gone about trying to bring happiness to the family in all the wrong ways. And we fail to understand or recognize that the most important thing we're going to do as husbands and wives is to truly love each other. God, help our men this morning to take the initiative and help our, help our ladies, our wives, to respond with, with gentleness and kindness and sweetness in love, even praising her husband when he gets it right so that there's harmony and unity in the home and so our kids will then be happy. So that for our children, true love is modeled so they'll know how to carry on in the next generation. God, we commit ourselves to you now, thanking you in Jesus' name for this great gospel that helps us live a life, Lord, that brings true happiness. We pray that in Jesus' name. And everyone said it with me. Tell the person beside you, go love your spouse.